welcome listeners to another episode of These Are Our Kids, a JDI Connect podcast. I'm Beth Oprish. And I'm Ari Whitaker. Are you sure you're Ari and I'm Beth? Is that, you I got think that you're right? Beth. Okay. Yeah. You figure by this time we'd have that. <laughs> figure it out. Exactly. I always try to start with a little bit of Ari's laugh. I could listen to that all day long. You know, it just makes me smile. <laughs> We're fortunate today to be joined with our our guest today is the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Bishop. How you doing, Steve? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me, Beth and Ari. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it was like you kept calling us to say, hey, how do I get on one of those? Yeah, Isn't that how that works? Exactly. I'm yeah. feeling a little bit left out. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I tell you, we w- once we decided we would do a podcast, we definitely want to sit down and talk to you. We want to talk to you about this probation transformation paper, right? Mm-hmm. And just probation in general. And that paper seems to have kind of like transformed things, if you will, right? right? I mean, it just had such a good reception from the very beginning. Huge right. impact. I know, even shout out to the JDI connectors, because they specifically asked to hear from you. Great. So like, I think it's really engendering a lot of enthusiasm around the work. Great. Yeah, Great. I, think, I think we were ready for it. So we're going to get to that, right? Right. Like why the paper, why now, mm-hmm. what's in the paper, highlights, you know, Certainly not going to ask you to read it verbatim, page okay. for page, although I know you have all <laughs> I that up memorized, there. Yeah. Right, right. But, you know, first, you know, Steve, a little bit about you. Like, okay. what, why this work? I mean, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit where you're from, you know, why you're interested in this. and Yeah, so why the work? Because I'm kind of a probation officer at heart. Okay. That's how I started my were career. You, you were I was a juvenile probation officer. Um, pretty much my first job coming out of college. A couple other things I, you know messed around with but in general you know right out of college I was a criminal justice major um, and was motivated towards youth justice Um, so I just saw it as a population um, where there was a lot of opportunity you know I I always um, even growing up um, worked with kids my summers in college I worked at like the boys and girls club and so I've always been kind of like yes youth centered um, and all of that in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg, okay, so and you're, so, yeah, you're was, a Pittsburgh guy or a Pennsylvania uh, guy. Pennsylvania guy. Harrisburg's yes. like right in the middle. There, it's, right? it's really right. It is central Pennsylvania. So I know yeah. we're talking about you know probation. We definitely are going back to that. Yeah. Ask, if you're in the middle of the state. Or you go with the Eagles or you go with the with the Steelers? I don't go either way. Okay. It's, it's mostly um, Eagles country in Harrisburg. Some Steelers. Um, for a period of time, I'm not as much in the NFL now, but for a period of time, I followed the Washington team. And that was mostly because my older brother was a Cowboys fan. And so what better way? you got to go to, with the opposite. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. that. Okay, yeah. so back, back to, so yeah, back to probation. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a uh, juvenile probation officer out of college. And um, a lot of that was just inspired by my own experiences growing up. I grew up in the city of Harrisburg, um, section of the city called Uptown Harrisburg. So, um Okay, so you know, now, like a lot of our listeners, that's not going to, what does that mean? It's, you know, like a lot of small or large cities that it has a lot of the same problems and societal issues that face a lot of our cities in terms mm-hmm. of like underserved communities, underserved schools, not a lot of opportunities for young people. Um, I always like to say, so my father's a, um, a minister in the United Methodist Church, my mom's a social worker. So I, I feel like I had a lot of supports and opportunities, even though I grew up in a, in a neighborhood where um, a lot of my peers and classmates didn't have those same opportunities and experiences. So for me, it was always really clear and evident, like what a fine line it was between 
what I was able to get and receive and a lot of my peers um, and just seeing a lot of them being subject to juvenile justice system, criminal justice system, and all sorts of other um, ills that um, befall our society and people around it. So I was just always drawn towards that, you know, having friends and other people who had contact with the system and just kind of wanted to make a difference. Um, so for me, when I was a probation officer, I wanted to be a helper. Um, and I really thought it was, and I still believe it's in a lot of ways, sometimes the last best chance for young people who slip through the cracks of a lot of systems, whether it's education system, child welfare systems, um, you name it, they fall through the cracks and usually end up on the front steps of the juvenile court somewhere. Um, and so when I approached the work, I saw it as really last best chance to hopefully be a mentor and a role model to young people on my caseloads and, to, you know, try to give them a little bit of what I was fortunate enough to get growing up and, you know, hopefully get them on the right path. What's kind of interesting, though, is because you never, it sounds like, you never approach the job with the kind of law and order mentality. No, not at all. That that was an awakening. I mean, I went into the job seeing myself again as a, as a helper. And then um, shortly after starting the job, they're like, well, here's this piece of equipment. Here's this piece of equipment. And, and by that, you're talking about handcuffs. Yeah, handcuffs, baton. My department I was in, when I started, we didn't carry firearms. But shortly um, afterwards, and this was the late 90s, um, started carrying firearms. I was a school-based probation officer, wow. did police probation ride along. Often say, um, I'm not a big guy, and I, they gave me a utility belt to probably weigh more than me. I mean, mm -hmm. I was kind of sandbagged down with all the equipment. Um, and so it was it was really eye-opening, like, wow, this is a lot of compliance and, you know, law enforcement, not necessarily the helper, social work type of profession that I assume going into youth justice, which is the reason I picked youth justice. I could have been an adult PO and went criminal justice. There was a reason I picked um, the juvenile justice system. So it was really, it was jarring in a lot of ways. Um, there were times that I considered a different path, um, but somewhere in me, I think I always knew that I needed to stay close to it to understand it and uh, hopefully be able to make an impact. But I, I think I've always had a sense that I needed the credibility of really working in the field. Um, so even all those experiences of doing police probation ride-alongs and, you know, I worked in a department, we did our own arrests, you know, so I've unfortunately, you know, put cuffs on young people and things like that. Um, but all experiences that I think have given me a really clear eye view of all the, all the issues in the system. Because it sounds like you were, you know, and, and, and maybe I'm characterizing this wrong, and I'm sure you'll let me know if I am, but you were kind of almost ahead of your time, right? Um, I don't know if I would say that. I, no, actually, I wouldn't say that. Um, you just for the opportunity to tell me I was wrong? <laughs> well, I always look for that opportunity, <laughs> but I'll tell you you're wrong. No, I would, easy for people. I'll say I'm, I wasn't ahead of my time because I, um, I wasn't one of the only people, and that's a lot of my motivation and inspiration now. Um, you know, we have a lot of curricula that's out there um, that probation departments use, ethics, carry guides, and lots of tools and techniques that really have moved the field along. And I often say when I started in the field, I had the great fortune of learning under some probation officers who, like, they knew how to do ethics before there was ethics. Like, they just kind of got it. Mm -hmm. They knew kids. They knew families. They cared about the communities that they worked in. Um, so as a young probation officer, there are people that I could start shouting out names and it wouldn't mean anything to the listeners, but people who really, you know, I learned a lot from and watched how they worked and how they operated, how they built relationships with kids and families. And I learned a ton from that. And I also learned that there were a lot of people in the profession 
that were there for the same reasons as me, but we come into the job thinking one thing and all of a sudden we're given this whole other set of rules and regulations and policies and ways of doing business and all sorts of parameters um, that I think lock people into a way of doing the work that they didn't really sign up for. Um, so I would love to say, yes, I was out alone on an island and being a champion for social justice and ahead of my time, but I, I wasn't. Um, and you that really is what it, yeah, and that's what inspires me in the work because I, I feel that that's probably the case for most who are in the profession. So it's skipping ahead a little bit from the work that we do now with well, Casey we, and yeah, probation. You get the, yeah. How'd you get the Casey? Oh, so how'd I get to Casey? So I was a probation officer in Harrisburg, it's Dolphin County, Pennsylvania, um, for about seven years or so, and was on probation officer, did a lot of different you know, specialties within probation. And I was a supervisor for a period of time. And then I spent about um, 11 years with the state of Pennsylvania before coming to Casey. It's the Pennsylvania Juvenile Court Judges Commission. Um, So that job was providing a lot of training, technical assistance, um, advice to juvenile courts, juvenile probation staff um, in particular. Um, Did a lot of different functions there, was the the training director for the state for a period of time. We had a graduate education program that I was director of. And ultimately there's a center for juvenile justice training and research under that juvenile court judges commission. Um, and I was director of that for about three years. Um, so, and so that impacted my experience as well, because part of my time with the state was the rollout of um, a lot of what we see across the nation, you know, training up probation officers on, evidence-based practices and being more skilled and informed and, you know, understanding the research and all of that. So that was a great experience and really helped shape my view as well. So in total, how many years of experience do you have under your belt? Oh gosh, you're going to make me answer that question. <laughs> uh, She's always asking me questions. Yeah, I know. Um, so about 20 years, 20 years yeah, of experience. It's been, in the field, it's probably, it's little more than 20 now because I've worked, you know, when I consider internships in college and yeah. things like that, yeah, it's been, you know, a little more than 20 years now, about 21, 22 years in the field. Can you recall a moment where you had to grapple with like, a, a, you know, a moment in time where you had to say, okay, this is now, I understand what I was taught. Mm-hmm. I understand like, you know, the compliance, I understand what, you know, things were, now I'm ready to try something new. I'm ready to push the envelope here a little bit and, you know, be more of a helper. Like um, you originally thought. Well, I, I think I always had that sense. It was, it was always trying to find opportunities to do it. So I, I think about, I could, I think of several kids and or young people and experiences where I did this. Um, but one in particular, um, cause it was a young man I had on my caseload grew up in the same neighborhood as me. Um, and it just, he just was really relatable to me. I, I, I got it. He was a student athlete, um, good kid, but you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, the, the streets sometimes are, are hard to yeah. be completely divorced from. Um, ended up on probation for something not really that serious. Um, fairly low level offense. You know, my worldview now probably shouldn't have been on probation. Um, and you know, but he had some struggles, some fits and starts when he was on probation. And at one point ended up picking up um, new charges. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a real struggle. And so that's, that's like one example, but there were a lot of young people that I encountered where um, the experience was trying to game the system, really. And it was like, and so that was one of the lessons as a probation officer was really like how to advocate for young people on your caseload. Right. Um, but that meant 
sometimes, again, figuring out how to game the system. So scheduling court to get in front of the right judge and when the right prosecutor's in there or going to the right supervisor in the office to get the, you know, to get the answer that you want. Um, and so, again, that kind of inspires me in the work now because it just seems so out of whack that, you know, that people come into the profession wanting to be helpers and you end up having to figure out all these back doors and workarounds um, really just to be able to advocate for kids and give them a second chance and help them. And you're the people who are working with them more closely. You know them well and you want to take chances on them. And, and the system really isn't structured to do that. So you've been at Casey how long now? Uh, it's coming up on four years four in years. April. Yeah. And, and the probate, like what was the genesis of the probation paper? So, um, so when I stepped into the work here at Casey, um, they said we're starting this probation transformation thing and it kind of came out of our work on with with the deep end and focused on reducing reliance on out of home placement, especially for kids of color. Um, and probation is kind of everywhere. Um, and so even outside of the paper itself, um, the probation transformation work is really in my mind designed to do two things. One, um, I see it as a strategy to help reduce out-of-home placement. Um, and in Casey, we talk about brighter future for all kids and families, and no one thinks of a young person or their own child being in an institution and having a bright future. So I think probation is a big part of that. Um, and then the other piece, again, from my own experience, is that I think probation can do more than just make sure kids stay out of trouble and don't commit new offenses. I really think that it can be an opportunity if done correctly um, if you partner with communities and families and really understand the community's kids are from the right way, I really think it's an opportunity to be a transformative experience for kids and kind of be the last best chance to get kids on the right track who um, society's maybe forgotten about or they slipped through the cracks and, you know, kind of had the, the deck sacked against them. Um, so that's really the genesis of the probation transformation work. Um, the paper was really just trying to figure out a way to articulate um, the need to transform. It was two things. If you look at the papers, it's a problem statement, um, which is not the most strength-based approach, mm-hmm. but we needed to call out the problems with the, with the current system, largely because probation has gotten a pass in a lot of ways. You know, I often say when you think about juvenile justice reform, everybody thinks about facilities, and that's an easy target. Um, but in large part, probation has gotten a pass in terms of where it hasn't been as effective as it could be and where it's also been a gateway. I think when you, you talk about it, it kind of makes sense that, that this work <clears throat> comes out of the efforts of the deep end, right? Yeah. Because I think when when Casey first started that look at mm-hmm. this deeper end of the system, right? Yep. They maybe, found that maybe probi- for some people who don't know what the deep end may be, can we talk about that a little bit? Like, sure. You, you, what, yeah, I, I'm not even going to take a stab at it when I got Steve Bishop sitting right next yeah. to me. Well, so, I mean, deep end is just um, if JDAI is looking at kids when they hit the front door and um, predisposition, um, the deep end is really everything post-disposition. So how are decisions made about um, kids that come to court? Um, what are the dispositions they receive? What's ultimately that disposition? Is it out-of-home placement? Is it probation? Is it something in between? Um, but really the focus is on reducing that reliance on out-of-home placement and especially for kids of color because we know that um, the further you get into the system um, the more we see youth of color right and I just want to make sure we're sharing language yeah yeah Mm -hmm. no I appreciate that um you know people with as much experience as yeah 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 you know everybody knows that yeah (laughs) but I but early on when 
deep end mm-hmm. work started kind of like looking at who is in the system. Right. They saw probation as being a big feeder. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I think you, you kind of think, well, probation keeps them out mm-hmm. of the system. But when you really look at the data, yeah, a lot of the kids that then got placed in detention or out of home in some other venue, mm-hmm. um, it was kids that were on probation. Yeah. So the, the, the the marriage, if you will, between this probation transformation mm-hmm. work in the deep end really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's what's always been, that's the irony of it. Um, uh, since I have so much experience, I'll share some history. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a, I like history, and one of the things I find this both fascinating and ironic is the history of probation. The mm-hmm. father of probation is John Augustus, who has the whole purpose was to provide people who were being jailed for it at that time in the 1840s, things like vagrancy and public drunkenness, um, things of that nature was to give them opportunities. He was a, you know, a blacksmith and a bootmaker in Boston and said, Hey, I'll, these folks can apprentice with me judge instead of sending them to jail. So it was an innovation at the time, the whole idea of like, we can do some alternative method to putting people in jail and give them opportunities. And so, yes, it was like jarring to then step into a world right. um, where just like John Augustus wouldn't even recognize it's based on like follow these rules and it's all about compliance. And, and if, if you don't comply, if you don't comply, then you get locked up. And the whole purpose of it was to keep people in their communities. Yeah. Give alternatives. Yeah. 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 And I love what you're saying about partnering with communities and right. with families. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like and why that's important? Well, I mean, it's important because um, it's important to all young people in their development um, in terms of communities and families. Um, I like to think I was a pretty good probation officer and I knew a lot of good probation officers, but the reality is even the best PO who has the best relationship, that should be a short-term prospect. And those who are going to have the most influence on any young person is going to be um, their families and the communities and whoever the people are in those communities that support and surround them. Um, and so I think that's important. And also when you just think about it developmentally, um, the most kids are going to run afoul of the law in some form or fashion. Um, and for white kids in America, largely it's families and communities, um, civic organizations, whoever it is that is able to kind of wrap their arms around them and steer them on the right path without formal system involvement. And that's not the case for, you know, kids of color in this country. Um, and so I think there's a developmental piece um, that's very much tied to um, race equity and the structural racism that we see in this country as well, that we don't see um, kids of color, in particular boys, black boys, um, through the appropriate developmental lens. Yeah. Um, we don't see them as adolescents. There's tons, tons of research to support that in terms of implicit bias. And so I think it really has an impact on the decisions that we make about um, young people and also the way we view their communities and their families and having trust that they can um, provide them the support they need to help them become productive, you know, adults. Right. Well, we're going to talk more about the paper and the contents sure. of the paper. We're going to take a quick little break okay. here. And then we'll come back and I want to hear about the components of it. We'll talk about the, the statement, the opening statement about the problem of yes, probation. Yes. But then let's talk about some of the fixes and how the paper sure. is organized. So we'll be back after a quick break. Hey, hi, I'm Bart Lubau. And I want to tell you a little bit about JDAI Connect. JDAI Connect is an online destination where anyone 
from practitioners and policymakers and community groups to advocates, youth, families, researchers, and generally anybody interested in juvenile justice reform can talk, share resources, and learn from one another. It's a really vibrant community, rich with discussions, resources, and training opportunities. I use JDAI Connect all the time to share 25 years of JDAI experiences, to learn from the network about site accomplishments, and generally to uh, poke that beast which we call the juvenile justice system. So join me at JDAI Connect. Now that's www.jdaiconnect, one word, dot org to begin connecting with your colleagues around the country. And now let's get back to the podcast. So we're here with our guest. This is Beth Obrish with the, um, the best. Ari, Ari Whitaker. Whitaker. Yeah, I was about to say that I was looking for an adjective. I couldn't think of a I got you, good enough one there. So. And our guest, Steve Bishop. So we're talking about the probate. We're just talking about transforming probation. We're talking right. about just all things probation really, but now we're going to kind of focus on the, the transforming probation paper that was published mm -hmm. earlier this year, um, um, was actually 2018 by the, the Casey foundation. Yes. So wonder if you'd kind of just, you know, certainly not every little piece of that, mm -hmm. but it, it, there was like two major components yeah. to that paper. So walk us a little bit through that, Steve, if you will. So the two major pillars, um, and that is how they're identifying the paper. Yes, the, as the, the pillars for probation transformation. So let, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, the first part of the, the paper was more so the problem statement mm -hmm. about some of the problems with probation. And mainly what we articulated was that um, we have lots of research over the last 20 years that tells us all sorts of things about um, both delinquency and youth development, that um, involvement in the juvenile justice system is actually harmful um, for most young people because um, they'll age out of whatever delinquent behaviors on their own and that diversion actually works. Um, we know what types of approaches are most effective, um, approaches that are focused, that are family centered, um, that focus on skill building for young people that help build up community assets and community supports. Um, but even though we've had all this explosion of knowledge over the 20 years, if you look at national data about how we use diversion and probation, it's virtually unchanged. Yeah. So we talk a lot about the need to um, modernize probation and exactly for that reason, because that just seems so out of whack that we have all this knowledge and we're kind of like doing things the same way as a system. So the two pillars for probation really uh, uh, um, for probation transformation evolve from that, which is divert way more kids from the system. In some ways it's like, two big things that are like really simple, um, but there's a lot underneath them, which is yeah, divert way more kids from the system. Like as a society, um, we can address most, most youth behavior without needing to um, pull them into formal juvenile justice system. And then the second piece is simply um, to then modernize probation for the limited and the smaller number of young people who come onto probation. Um, we should be utilizing things like incentives. We should be utilizing all the information we have to be family-centered, um, to be taking advantage to do skill building with young people, to build up their community supports um, in a way to, to be more effective. So that's really the two, the two simple pillars in some ways, but very complicated. Yeah. So can you think of any sites that are, you know, standing out and doing some amazing work with probation transformation? Yeah. So as we talk about the probation transformation work from the Casey standpoint, um, have to share credit with 
two sites in particular um, who've embarked on this journey with us, uh, Lucas County, Ohio, which is Toledo, and Pierce County, Washington, um, which is Tacoma, well, Washington. This is where I can interject OH. Yes. I yeah. I Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> Get it out of here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Lucas County and Pierce County. Yeah. So um, early on embarking on this work, um, Casey um, put out an RFP for grants for probation transformation. Um, we didn't have the paper at the time. We didn't have this all well thought out. Um, pretty much the parameters we gave were uh, we wanted to limit the scope of probation. Um, we wanted it to be more focused on families and community and trying to um, alleviate racial disparities um, and to be developmentally appropriate. And that was kind of the general parameters. And then we partnered with these two sites to see where they were taken. And they've just been um, up to the task, more than up to the task in terms of the innovations and the programs that they've implemented as part of this work. So as we were here kind of in the lab at Casey and dissecting all the research and everything else and kind of putting the concepts together, we had these tremendous partners in these two sites who were really um, putting it into action and operationalizing some of the, um, our early thinking and really coming back with some great results. And so it really has been a, um, a collaborative effort in terms of what you see produced in the paper, both in terms of the pillars and the specific recommendations, and certainly now some innovations and programs um, that we want others to consider replicating. Anything specifically that you could you know, mention for our listeners? Yeah, so in Lucas County, they um, implemented what's called misdemeanor services, and they pretty much just decided we're going to divert all misdemeanor offenses from probation. Um, and it was really came from two places. One, the volume of juvenile court referrals that were, were misdemeanors were pretty significant, more than two-thirds of the cases. And also they did a deep dive when they looked at um, racial equity in their county. And quite frankly, um, a lot of black kids with misdemeanors were ending up on probation and not so many white kids. Mm -hmm. And so that seemed like um, a bright red line that they were willing to draw and say, we can do things differently. Um, so diverting those young people from probation caseloads still sometimes are caseloads that are challenging and tough and young people need to be connected to things in the community and services and resources. Um, but just feeling like we can do this without um, what can be the overwhelming experience of being on probation where you have all these rules and things to follow and the threat of being um, locked up if you don't follow the rules. Um, so that's one of many things that Lucas County's done. Uh, Pierce County, um, the innovation we like to brag about is what they call opportunity-based probation. And they, this was a co-design with um, a researcher out of the University of Washington, and it's really put in the use of incentives front and center. And so, again, if you follow the research on adolescent development, it says that um, giving kids rewards and incentives and opportunities has much more impact and is a stronger motivator than the threat of punishment, which I have to remind myself of as a, um, as a parent all the time, give a quick aside story because this is the truth. I was in Pierce County. This was probably a couple of years ago and I'm giving one of my speeches and spills about all this with incentives. Uh, and um, as I said it, I was remembering as I had left the house the day before as I have two teenage, I have teenage sons um, that are twins um, wow. that just before I had left the house and whatever was going on in the Bishop household that I had a confiscated cable box <laughs> and a pair of Air Jordans sitting in the corner <laughs> of my bedroom. So I always say to probation officers, like, I get it. The instinct to just like punish and punish, I, you know what I mean? I get it. And it's hard to, even for me to practice what I preach. 
Um, but Pierce County's really taking that on and they really kind of build a case management style around using incentives. When kids come in the door, they know you do certain behaviors, it earns points. Those points can be redeemed for everything from like gift cards to getting connected to community organizations, recreational activities that the court's willing to help pay for and subsidize. Um, so they just really, um, they've done a better job than me in yeah. practicing what they preach. Yeah. That's what, and I think, works. you know, it gets down to like, how do we see the kids we work with? Right. right. Absolutely. Like I'm remembering one of the, the days of the equity challenge, the mm-hmm. danger of a single story. And that one just really resonated with me because if I see a kid that I'm working with as a criminal, mm-hmm. as a delinquent, then I'm, I'm going to default to they need a consequence. Yeah. But if I see the story as not just being this path that they may have chosen, you know, but, but see the kid for his whole story mm-hmm. and then think about him being him or her being a kid and thinking about how I would respond to, to any kid. You know, you just don't dole out the consequences. Yep. So it is a lot in how we look at and value the kids. And yep. just to, I mean, this is a little bit of a corny plug, but that's why this podcast is these are our kids. Because it is trying to really get folks yes. to understand that you have to look at these, you know, individuals as part of your own system. This is, this is our family. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to take care and look after one another like we should. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, one of my questions is like, what would you say are maybe some top three key strategies or best practices that folks ought to get from the report? Astronaut, like you said earlier, that sometimes mm-hmm. we have this data, we just sit on it, like, oh, that's good to know, 20 years worth of data, but we mm-hmm. don't change. But from this paper, what are some of those, you know, two or three strategies that for any practitioner listening? Give it, given your wealth of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one would be, I'll try to speak to both pillars and I have another one in mind. So on the diversion side, less is more, um, that every delinquent, I'm using air quotes, delinquent behavior doesn't require a formal juvenile justice system response. Um, that most youth behaviors, if we're really diligent and resource communities and we really believe and partner with families that most kids are going to be okay with the natural things that are put in place, but we have to trust it as a society and system. And so less is more Mm. and we'll get more out of that. Um, On kind of the probation side of it is relationships. Um, I mentioned before my time with this in the state of Pennsylvania, and this has been the case all over the country over the last 15, 20 years, an explosion of research and knowledge and everybody's doing evidence-based practices. And we have all these great tools and techniques that we use now and curricula, all things that are important every good practitioner, every good professional needs tools in their tool belt. Um, but it's relationships at the center of it. Um, that's what motivated me in the work was getting to know kids and families. And I think um, people have to not lose sight of that. Um, like it's kind of like it's relationships, stupid. It's, it's, it's about relationships. That's, that's what makes the tools and the techniques and the curricula and the practices come to life and really um, hopefully make a transformative experience for young people. And if we just stay on that, I don't mean uh-huh. to, sure. to, to interrupt the flow because we hear that a lot, right? It's all about yeah. relationships. Yeah. But I mean, if we, if we were to kind of unpack that just a little bit more, right. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, I really feel like that goes back to this. How do you see this kid? Right. How do you see the person Absolutely. in front of you? If you have the, you know, Rogerian kind mm-hmm. of philosophy of this unconditional positive regard yep. that I know you might've made mistakes, but so have I. Yes. And really like, like working with kids for years, right. And mm-hmm. you, you both uh, attest to this, I believe. 
they know if you really like them. Oh, yes. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? They can if read I'm just right through there it. There for yes. the paycheck, you know, yeah. when I used to work at the institution, I mean, they, the kids absolutely, they're just here for paycheck. They're yeah. just here for paycheck. You know, no, we can tell you really. Like, you know, so when we say relationships, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I mean, that's, that's what I hear, but maybe say a little bit more about that. Um, I think so. There, there's different dimensions to, to the relationships. I think it's getting to know the young person that you're working with, getting to know their family. But I think it's also understanding the context um, within which they're living and they're operating and the bad decisions they make, the context within which those decisions are made. And so which kind of really goes to my third one, which is about, you know, the hard stuff in this work, which is talking about race equity. Um, which feeds into how we view families, how we view communities and, and all of that. Um, but those relations and different cultures, and that's really part of the relationship building. Um, and I've learned that lesson in a couple of different ways. You know, I was a probation officer largely in the neighborhood that I grew up on, but the second I was coming through the door with that badge on, it's like, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you got to build up credit with people, um, credibility. and, And that means really understanding their situation, um, and so I say that to say, even as, as an African-American man, um, it's not to say that you have to have black POs or black kids, but you have to have an appreciation for the communities that people are coming from, um, the context, the structural racism that they face, why they distrust the system in many ways. And you have to really hear it, not just give it lip service, but really hear it and empathize. Um, and that goes a long way in building relationships. I have to say, you know, as I said, what motivates me in this work is changing a lot of the structure of the system. So all that being said, I made a lot of bad choices as a probation officer. Um, and that inspires me in the work to try to undo some of the, maybe the wrong that I, I did. But that being said, I've come across um, people who are close to my age now um, over the years who were on my caseload and maybe I didn't always make the best decisions, but I've never had issues with anybody because I think, I hope what they always knew at the heart of it is that, you know, I was coming from a good place that I cared. I was fair with them. I was honest with them. Um, and that makes all the difference in the world. Like I'm still running, you know, store at home, you know, having worked in detention for like 11 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm walking through the store and somebody will like, you know, yep. hey, Miss O, Miss O. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then it's usually like, you remember me? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, help me with your name, that kind of thing. But then it's, it's generally, I remember when you and I cramped yep. thinking, Oh, what did I say? But Nine times out of ten, it's usually something positive, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, I feel like we say this on every podcast, right? Is when you know better, you do better. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're kind of in that boat, like I'm in that boat, like I'd have certainly done things different, you know? But what I never would have changed, which I think is the essence of you, too, Steve, right? You would never would have changed how you treated a kid because no. you treat, always treated the kid yeah, with absolutely. respect. And that's what kids, that's that relationship part that, Evidence-based stuff, you know, cognitive-based yeah. therapy. I mean, yeah. we mm-hmm. talk about ABCs of thinking, yeah. which that's good. That's important. Yeah. Functional family therapy, not knocking any of that. But mm-hmm. the end of the day, it really is yeah. about that basic respect. Yeah. And when I used to do um, a lot of behavior therapy mm-hmm. and community, you know, intervention work, we used to have this mantra where no one cares what you know until they know that you care. I love that. Yes. And so like that was always like the forefront of my mind whenever you come in with all these experience, you have great experience, all these degrees and look at me, even if you're like, Hey, look, I'm African American. You're mm-hmm. African American. Let's, as I know, you need to take that time to build that rapport. Yeah. 
So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Well, we are at the end of our time. I hate to, to rain on our parade, but uh, it's been <laughs> such a pleasure talking really to you, Steve. Me as well. Just, this is fun. You're just a good soul. Is what you. I would say, you, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I could cut this out if we wanted to, but <laughs> it's the truth. We end every episode of our podcast with a little bit of this or that. Okay. So will you indulge Ari and I? Absolutely. All right. I've yes. seen others do it. So I've been, I've been waiting for this. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So Ari, right. starting off, this or that. All right. With Steve <clears throat> Bishop on JD I Connect. These are our kids. Um, let's a see. JD I Connect podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, East Coast or West Coast? East Coast. What? I'm, I'm an East Coast guy. I grew up okay. in Pennsylvania. Now, we're, in Pennsylvania. we're on a podcast, but I am high-fiving Steve. Wait a second. I thought you like the Lakers. I, it's, that's a whole different weird oh, you know, story. Geez, but we're not weird, but that's a whole different story. But I'm, I'm the saying. East Coast. Okay, all right. I'm the, East Coast okay. the idea of this or that yeah. is to argue with the I like my harsh winners. Weirdly enough, I like my harsh winners and the wind. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'll go with basketball or football. Basketball. Okay. Uh, beach or mountains? Oh, the beach. Nice. Mountains I can appreciate, but the beach, yeah, it just calms the soul. Serenity. Yes. And our closer is Beth or Ari? Oh, my goodness. Now, that <laughs> one's not fair at all. <laughs> I'm going to go with Beth because I've known her slightly oh. longer. <laughs> Okay, she but I but I but she may be at you out there. <laughs> That's all right. You're forgiven. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Thanks both Steve. of you. Appreciate all right. It. Goodbye, Ari. Goodbye, Beth. Goodbye, Steve. Goodbye.